powerful truth this morning. Welcome back to another week at Southridge. So thrilled to have each and every one of you here. We are continuing a series entitled The I Am Says That I Am. Welcome to week number five. So glad that you are here. And uh, um, it's been a busy week for us. We got back yesterday afternoon from a trip. We were in Nevada and uh, just had a had a quick trip. We were over at another church helping them for the week. And uh, so it's been good. Last Sunday, man, you guys preached me into the ground because uh, I think I blew a gasket in my throat. So if I have a hard time talking to you this morning, it's because my voice just seems shot. But I will still not hold back. You know me. I don't just kind of like, go easy on you. Um, I want you to get your money's worth, okay? So uh, I'm glad you are here this morning. We are in week number five. And um, uh, the notes are a little bit unusual. So many times I give you notes and um, uh, you go through those. And some of you are so OCD, you got to get the notes so perfect that, that you almost you almost miss out on the, on the message. So today, the, the notes are, are just kind of, it's one of those that I want you, if God speaks to you, write it down. Yes, write it down. I have my outline. I have my notes. But this is something where this morning, I kind of, because I believe it's so powerful, um, the, the truth that we're going to share is one that I think would be a very liberating truth for you, very helpful truth. I believe all the Word of God is powerful, but I think today, if we're going to talk about our identity, we have to talk about this subject because so many of us, we're, we're, we have this gap. We talked about it last week. David was filling in the identity gap. This is the identity gap. I'm over here, but I know God wants me over there. I know I'm not all that I want to be. I, I know that, that God wants me over here, but yet there's this gap in my life. What happens is last week we showed how David had a gap and it took him 18 plus years to fill that gap. And that was between when he was anointed to when he was appointed as king, how he used his gap season of his life. How are you stewarding the waiting moments in your life? Are they wasted moments? Or are they going to be waiting moments? And we talked about the gaps in our lives and how we use those gaps. And um, for some of us this morning, we know that there's a gap. There's a gap between me becoming the right type of husband that I want to be. There's a gap there. There's a gap between me becoming the right type of Christian I want to be. There's a gap there. There's a gap between me becoming the right type of son or brother. There's a gap between me being the right type of employer or employee. There's a gap in who I know God wants me to be. And there's really a gap between who I want to be. I mean, haven't you looked yourself in the mirror and you're just kind of like, man, just kind of disappointed with yourself and, and, and you're just kind of like I know God has so much more for me that's the gap folks that's the gap in our life that's and but how do we deal with that gap how are we stewarding that gap because I believe God's word has a lot to say about that gap in our lives and this morning I want to look at how we fill in the gap we said last week we're turning a corner David how he began to fill in the gap but here's how you and I oftentimes we fill in the gap and we usually fill in the gap with guilt Guilt over sin. Guilt over our mistakes. I think each and every one of us, if we could go back in time, hop into the DeLorean and go 88 miles per hour, we'd go back in time. And we'd pick maybe some specific date in our lives. Maybe take back something we said. Maybe take some, back something we did. Maybe stop a situation from happening. Maybe changing something, correcting something, making sure something goes a little bit better. We all have things. And what happens is, what happened is in the past, we take that guilt and then we kind of fill our life in with that. Instead of living in victory and living in who Christ says we are, we live the guilt. And we just feel that guilt everywhere we go. And we never can grow past our guilt because we're just in that guilt. Not only that, we're going to talk about the accuser. We have these accusations that we fill our lives full of. 
You say, what do you mean? We're going to get into what God calls Satan. And another word that God calls Satan is he's an accuser. And this accuser makes these accusations about your life. And guess what? These accusations, some of them are a lie. Some of them are true about us. And so we got this gap in our lives between who we know God wants us to be, but we start filling these gaps in with that guilt, with those accusations, and then with our past. So we got this gap, we just fill it with another gap. Did you catch that? We have the guilt, we have the accusations, we have our past, and we throw that all in to kind of fill in our gap. And so for you, that gap that you know, hey, I want to grow in my Christian life, you can't grow because you filled it with something that shouldn't be there. And so this morning, we're going to kind of deal with that and kind of take that out. So this morning, I've entitled this message, you can't make me ashamed. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't make me ashamed. You can't make me ashamed. Because I grew up in a situation, I grew up in a church that, right or wrong, it was wrong, we shamed you into obedience. We shamed you into living a Christian life. It was shame-based motivation, which God never motivates with shame. God never takes that dirt, that junk in your life, whether you did commit it or whether you didn't commit it, and just throws it in your face and says, this is why you need a change because of this junk. No, God doesn't do that. God is not like maybe some of our employers when we mess up on a project, kind of gently grabs us and kind of walks us over and look at this mess, look what you did. This is, this is terrible. You're a failure. Go get your pink slip. You're out of here. No, God doesn't do that. God doesn't motivate with shame. But some of you, you're living in that shame. For some of you, this shame is weighing you down. You can never grow beyond your shame. And so this morning, I want to set us free from shame. And that's why I want to bring this message entitled, You Can't Make Me Ashamed. And I think there's going to be great freedom this morning in the sense of, I'm going to be free from the shame that I feel this morning. Whether I committed it or I didn't commit it, I want to be free. I want to walk free from this shame. And we're going to look at a character who... There's some shame in this character's life, but I love the whole transformation. And I'm going to tell you what, you're going to try to keep up with me. You're going to have to do like Bible jujitsu to keep up with me today. I'm going to be going through so many passages and it might be tough. So you hang with me. We're going to put the first passage on the screen and the rest of it, you might just want to sit back, relax, sip your coffee and listen to the message. I'm going to try to bring it all together, but we're going to be in Matthew. We're going to start in Matthew chapter number 16. And I love Matthew 16 for so many reasons, but we're going to be looking at how this person particularly this character who is best known by the name of the Apostle Peter. And we're going to look how he handled this gap situation. He had a gap in his life. How did he fill this gap? What did he do? And we're going to take and dive into it this morning because you and I, there are things that, that keep us from becoming all that God wants us to become. And this morning, I want to set us free some from some things, and I want to start first of all with a word of prayer. Ask God's help as we dive into Matthew 16, and we're going to really just kind of study the life of Peter this morning. Join me as I pray, dear Heavenly Father. I thank you so much, first and foremost, for this church. Thank you for five wonderful months that you've given us. Thank you for the lives that were saved. Thank you for the people that are making cha- changes in their lives. For people that are growing, I pray for those this morning, specifically for our friends Bethany and Joseph Rodriguez uh, Gonzalez, who right now they're ministering to a family where she just lost her husband. And I just pray for that family as they minister to them. I pray grace on them. I pray a blessing on them. I pray comfort. I pray a special anointing on the Brown family. I pray that you would use them. I pray that they would be able to get to Korea quickly. I pray that they would have a special anointing on their ministry. May it be a blessed and powerful ministry that is mightily used by God. I pray that when people go to this camp in Korea that they would understand that the power of God is there 
stronger than any power that would be uh, uh, in the country military. And I pray that you would do something great. I pray that you would work in our church this morning. I thank you for those that are here. I pray that you would speak to their hearts. I pray the word of God would speak truth. And I pray that we would help uncover the lies that we've been listening to and believing. And I pray for this gap in our lives. I pray that you would fill it with your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you've had a good week. I'm excited. I always look forward to coming home. And uh, I left. Uh, We were in Las Vegas. I was not on vacation. And uh, no, I was not trying to raise money for the church at all. Okay? And uh, just clear, just in case you were thinking it. I'm terrible at uh, uh, craps or any of that stuff. Not uh, So I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to. So that's not why we were there. We were there to uh, help out another church and be a blessing to them and share the ministry and what God's doing here. Just so you know, there are churches there in uh, Las Vegas that are praying for you. Special greeting from Pastor Josh Tice to our good friends, uh, Walter and Tiffany. He said he loves you guys, he misses you guys, and he wants you guys back. I said, no, you can't have them. They can't go. And uh, they're stuck here. We want them. And uh, so, and Pastor Murray said hello. So your friends greet you. So special greeting to you. And uh, while we were there, I was expecting to be triple digits. It was, it was nice. It was only low 90s. I was like, man, got off the plane uh, or didn't get off the plane. I got out of the van and uh, just kind of, it was nice. It was great. Too. But it's really good to be home. And we left there Friday night about 11 o'clock. Got back in about 4 a.m. yesterday morning. So if I say something doesn't quite make sense, you know, it's because I'm just sleep deprived, all right? So it's all good. You just bear with me, and we'll get through it, and it'll be good this morning. Matthew chapter number 16, let's dive into the Word of God, beginning in verse number, let's start in verse number 13. The Bible says, but he answered and said, and I'm in the wrong chapter, once again, I'm already starting off bad. Here we go. Verse 13, chapter 16. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, and let me stop for a second, It seems odd that Jesus Christ would stop and say, hey, who do people think I am? Let's take a poll. Let's get a press release. Let's ask the AP poll. Let's see, who do do I think people think I am? This is not Jesus saying, hey, I need some validation. This is not what he's doing. It's not Jesus saying, hey, I'm feeling a little insecure. I need some help here. That's not what he's doing. It's a powerful question that really will change your life just like it changed Peter's life. How we answer this question hinges on our eternal security, hinges on how we answer this question. Each and every one of us are posed this exact same question. Who do men say that I am? In verse number 14, and they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias or Elijah and John the Baptist and Elias and others, Jeremiah and one of the prophets. He said unto them, but whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, of course he did. Simon Peter always had an answer. He was rarely right, but he always had an answer. Maybe you know somebody like that. They always have something to say. They're rarely right, but you can always count on them in the board meeting. You can always count on them at the family gathering to say something, and sometimes you're like, just, 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 just don't. This is Peter, okay? Open mouth, insert foot, Peter. This is him. But for once, Peter has a redeeming moment because this is awesome what Peter's going to say. Notice verse number 15. And he saith unto them, But whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow. Many people this day, they said, Yes, Jesus. Yeah, he's Jesus. He's, he's a good man. But 
Peter made the statement that he's Jesus Christ. This is the long-awaited Messiah that was foretold in the Old Testament. You are the Christ. You are a redeemer. You are the one that's going to save us. You are my hope and salvation. That's who Peter was saying he was. Peter, man, good job, buddy. You had a good answer. Pat him on the back. That's tremendous. Peter, at this point, is going to have something miraculous happen to him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I love verse 18, because no matter what comes against our church, God says the gates of hell will not prevail against it, because the church of the living God is built by him. He's building it. It's not music that's building the church. It's not promotion that's building the church. It's not preaching that's building the church. Jesus Christ is building the church. I step back, and I just scratch my head sometimes how people even come to a theater to go to church it is awesome that you are here i'm so thankful you're here i'm excited that you're here but understand god is building this church anything that's happening here it's not slick gimmicks it's not marketing it's not money it is the holy spirit of god that's our hope and guess what anything that satan tries to do it god says it's not going to work anything that might try to thwart us it's not going to happen somebody saying something bad about us it's not going to work somebody trying to stop it is not going to work because the church of god it's his thing it's what he's behind it's not me literally if i were gone tomorrow god says hey it's my church i'll take care of it if you were gone god says hey i'll take care of it it's my church now that pastor would preach really well but that's not the message this morning i want you to see we're dealing with identity and you can see i have a hard time not jumping in there but we're dealing with identity specifically peter's In verse number uh, 17, Jesus says to Peter, Simon Barjona. So Peter has a couple of names here, all right? His first name, he starts out, is Simon, all right? Simon Barjona. And then later on, Jesus changes it to Peter, which means Petros. Petros is where we get the word rock. Here's the first WWF name given in the Bible. I mean, that is awesome. Peter goes from Simon to the rock, okay? I mean, Dwayne Johnson, you got nothing on him, okay? You are a wannabe compared to Peter. He's the original rock. If I were Peter, I would have shirts made for sure, okay? I'd be telling everybody I am the rock. Matter of fact, I'd go around and call myself rock. Okay, and uh, so he has this name change transformation and what a great name folks. What a great name The Bible says in Revelation chapter number four that God has given us a new name You don't know you have a new name. We don't know it yet, but one day we do It's funny because satan he doesn't call us by our name satan calls us by our sin That's what satan calls us But God says there's a name which is written down. That's your true name. And God calls us by that name. And Satan, he'll try to rub your face in it. And here, here, Peter, he has this name change. Simon means shifty or shaky. That's what Simon literally means. God changes his name to Peter, which means a rock, a stone. What a great name change. But guess what? Name changes in the Bible, you may be aware of this, had more to do with our identity, with who we are, than anything else. It wasn't just like today, we just like the name. Now, whenever I see somebody that they're, they're pregnant, or they're about to have a baby, you always ask them their name, and I say, you don't have to tell me because I know how this thing goes. You know, names are guarded. You don't want anybody having your baby's name. You know, you don't want to just copy it. For a while, everybody was naming their babies after cities. 
There was London. There was Orlando. I was waiting for Albuquerque, but nobody wanted to go for it, you know. But everybody was naming their baby after cities. And I was like, that's kind of cool. And then lately it's kind of changed, you know, kind of the names that's going on. And, and we were with last week, we were with, in the same week, we were with three different Ashlands. And it was just kind of neat. All these families, all their daughters' names was Ashland. It's kind of cool. And uh, so that was a really popular name. And uh, I remember when we were going to name our daughter Megan, her name was to be Madison. We had a college and career ministry. And one of the girls there, she was about to have a baby. And I asked her, what are you going to name your daughter? And she said, I really hadn't thought of it. And she asked us, what are we going to name our daughter? And I said, uh, you know, we really like Madison. We're going to go with Madison. Well, their baby was born uh, about six weeks before Megan was born. And I went to go visit. And I was like, oh, what's the baby's name? Madison. Oh, I know you got the name. You stole the name. I know you got that name. So now I make up names. I make up names. Somebody asked me, I'm like, it's Gertrude. Steal it if you want it. It's all yours. You can have it, you know. And I'll just make up the dumbest name because I'm not going to give you the real name. Because names, it's not, it has so much associated with that. We named our daughter Megan, and Megan is an Irish name, and it means strong-willed, basically. And it's amazing how much she lives up to her name. You and I, God has given us a name in heaven. Are we living up to that name? Peter was living up to his name, Shaky. He really did. But God gave him a new name. He gave him the name that meant rock. And I love how God, he sees something in us we don't necessarily see in ourselves. God saw a rock where Peter saw shifty. meant like a reed that just kind of shakes in the wind. And God said, no, Peter, you're going to be a rock. No more shaky or shifty. No more uh, uh, loosey-goosey. No more, you're going to be like, should I go to church? Should I read my Bible? Should I pray? No, no, no more. You're a rock. No more, uh, should I keep this marriage together? Should I not? No, 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 you're a rock. Uh, should I, should I kind of keep doing the Christian thing or should I not? I'm kind of done with the church thing, kind of did it, kind of out. No, no, you're a rock. God calls you out the better things in you while Satan is trying to put the garbage back in you. And so we need to understand this name association. So he starts out being Simon. God changes it to Peter. But notice in this passage, Peter goes through a little identity crisis. Verse number 21, the Bible says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Note to self, never tell Jesus what Jesus should do, okay? Just not a good thing. And he began to rebuke him. It's, this is kind of Peter. Peter's just been called the rock. I don't know if all of a sudden he's feeling a little Dwayne Johnson and he kind of maybe pulled up a metal chair. Let's have a little talk, Jesus. I don't, I don't know if he did that. But the Bible does kind of make it sound like Judas or, or Peter just kind of, hey, hey Jesus, I need, I need to talk to you. This is, this is not seeker sensitive. This isn't seeker friendly. This is not how we're going to build our following here, Jesus. You can't go around telling people that you're going to go and be crucified. We're trying to build something here, man. So you got to get with the program, kind of keep it real relevant, kind of keep it real cultural, you know, do couple miracles hey they really like that bread and fish thing do that a couple times i mean we really got something going on here jesus but you telling them you're going to go die in jerusalem that's not cool man i mean this is not going to work and notice for a long time i used to get this passage confused and notice verse 23 or i'm sorry let's finish verse 22 then peter took him and began to rebuke him saying be it far from thee lord this shall not be unto thee he's saying this won't happen to you But he, this is Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me. And I used to always think that Jesus, because he had this spiritual kind of x-ray vision into that other spiritual realm, that he was speaking to Satan, that Satan was there. No. 
He said, Peter, you're Satan. Wow. Peter went from being a reed, shaky, shifty, to being a rock, to being Satan. All in one chapter. You ever started the day in your devotions? And man, you were just fired up for the day. And you hit the 101 traffic. And all of a sudden, you turn into Satan. I mean, you're just like, oh man, what's going on? It's just like it can happen that fast in our lives. We can make that spiritual transition. It seems strong for Jesus to call him Satan. That's strong. That's hard language. But you've seen somebody just make that change where you're like, who are you? You've seen people do some horrible things like, I never thought you would ever do that. Deeper still, you've seen yourself do things that you look yourself in the mirror and say, I never thought I would ever do that. I know God called me to be this. And how did I do that? Why did I say that? I thought I would never do that again. So Peter's got this gap in his life. He's got this crisis. Peter has messed up. But you know what? This isn't where it starts. And and maybe you're hoping for a good ending here, but we're going to go down a little bit more negative before we bring this message up. I told you, if you could follow along, that's great. If not, don't worry about it. I'm going to read Matthew 26, verse 69. Jesus does indeed go to Jerusalem, and he is indeed about to be offered up as a sacrifice, to be crucified for the sins of not just the Jews, but also for the entire world. And we know the passage that Peter, in the Garden of Gethsemane, grabbed Malchus' sword and tried to cut off Malchus's ear. And from that point, Jesus then says, hey, if you're going to live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And then at that point, they take Jesus... And then Peter, he kind of hangs back at a distance. He's guilty because Peter said, hey, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you, Jesus. I'm the rock. Remember, I'm that rock. And I'm going to always be there for you. But notice verse 69 of uh, chapter 26, if you're there. Now Peter sat without in the palace. And a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied him before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another saw him and said unto him, and were here there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while he came unto them that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art also one of them, for thy speech betrayeth thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which he said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and and wept bitterly. Here Peter, he He's the one that God says, you're this rock. I'm calling you out from shifty and shaky. I'm calling you out of that old lifestyle. I'm calling you out of that carnal Christian living. I'm calling you into something deeper. I'm calling you out of the gap in your life. I'm calling you to be the person you've always wanted you to be. I'm calling you to be the son of God. I'm calling you to be righteous. I'm calling you to be holy. I'm calling you to be pure. And here Peter, he has this test that is put before him. He says, Jesus, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And here comes a servant girl as he's warming his hands by the fire and says, I know you. You're one of his followers. No, 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 I'm not. No, 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 I'm definitely not. Somebody else comes. And he says with an oath, I'm not. This is to make a promise. This is to say, I swear I'm not one of his followers. And then a third person comes as he's at the fire. 
And this person comes, and this time, it's not enough just to, his voice to get a little uh, uh, heightened, and get a little loud. It's not enough to say, I swear I'm not his follower. He's got to start cursing and swearing as if to prove that I'm not. If I was with Jesus, I wouldn't be talking like this. And some of you, you've been intimidated at your workplace. And you felt like you've got to just blend in. You felt like, man, I dare not bring my Bible. I dare not pray. I dare not talk uh, uh, like a Christian would. I'm just going to blend in. And I'm just going to show them that, you know what, the Jesus thing is for Sunday only. And kind of stick that little, and kind of put that in a jar. And that's just something I do. It's not who I am. And here Peter, he realized what he had done because Jesus told Peter that, hey, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And as soon as he denied Jesus three times, then the rooster crows. You know, it's terrible about that sign of a rooster. We don't hear it in the city, but I grew up in Fresno. And in Fresno, every morning when we would deliver our paper routes in some of those country roads, you could hear the roosters crowing. That's not something that, oh, that was just in Bible days. That's still now. So Peter, for the rest of his life in an agrarian society, had this reminder that he denied Jesus. Some of you, there's this reminder sometimes when you go to certain places of your sin. It's always there. Sometimes you can look at a past, or you can look at a picture, or maybe there's some part of you that there's a scar there, a literal physical scar, and it reminds you of your shame. And this morning's message is not to try to drag you in your shame. I told you this title of the message is you can't make me ashamed. Because even through all this, there's something powerful that happens in John 21. And in John 21, Peter then says, I go fishing. And you think that's harmless, that's innocent. But really what Peter was literally saying is, I quit. I'm done. I'm gone. Guess what? He quit even after he saw the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. But at the end of that passage, Jesus comes to Peter and he comes to him and says, hey, do you love me more than these fish? And and Jesus asked the question three times. And Peter says, I do. Now we've covered a lot of scripture. Now let me draw some application in the next few moments that we have. Peter makes this great declaration that Jesus is the son of God. But in comes this strategy of Satan. You see, Satan, as soon as you make a great decision in your life, he's going to pounce on you. As soon as you say, man, I'm going to get back into church. I'm going to start living for God again. God has called me to be a child of his. God says I'm victorious. God says I am holy. God says I am fearfully and wonderfully and awesomely made. And that's what God's calling me to. Guess what? Satan's going to be coming. Satan's going to be gunning for you. But even, and I love how in that passage, Jesus gave Peter his identity before he gave Peter an activity. And that's deep for us who are Christians. Don't try to do the Christian life before you're being the Christian. Be becomes before do. Some of you, you're going to try to serve God when you haven't read your Bible. And you're trying to live for God when you haven't put anything inside. My car operates on gas. You spiritually operate on the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't try to drive. Don't try to operate without first putting something in. Because then you're going to be running on empty. And you're going to wonder why your Christian life is discouraging. You're going to wonder why you're defeated. You're going to wonder why you're depressed. You're going to wonder why you're down. Because you're running on empty, my friend. And just like your car, and maybe some of you are thinking... I have an electric man, just try it. I don't care, at 250 miles, you better find a charging station, all right? Those batteries can still run dead, all right? So you understand the analogy that we've got to be putting something in. Here, Peter says, thou art the Christ. 
Can I tell you what? When you tell God who he is, he'll tell you who you are. Some of you, you're going to the wrong source for your identity. You're going to the world and their philosophy. They're going to their culture. And you're looking at your job for your identity. You're looking for some person to give you their identity. Peter said, Jesus, you're going to give me my identity. And, Peter, and Jesus said, yes, I am going to give you your identity. And it's going to be an awesome identity. You're now going to be a rock. That's what I want to be in my Christian life. That's what I want in my marriage. That's what I want in my, in my daily walk with God. That's what I want in my friendship. That's what, the type of father I want to be. I want to be that rock, that stable, that steady one. That's what I want to be. And I know that's what God wants for you too. And I know it's in your heart that's what you want. But there's this gap in between that. So Peter, he understood this. And guess what? As soon as you make that decision, Satan's going to come in. You see, isn't it amazing? My wife and I were talking about this. Satan learns our pressure points. Some of you without older siblings, you don't understand pressure points. I have older brothers. You learn pressure, pressure points real quick. You say, why? Because if my older brothers gave me a black eye, he'd get in trouble. But if he found a pressure point, and it hurts just as much as a black eye, but there's no mark, so he's not going to get grounded. He's not going to get his allowance taken away. So man, if he ever wanted to get something, he'd just find that pressure point in your neck or in your arm, and he'd just hit that pressure point. Satan's learning your pressure point, Christian. And he's studying you and he's watching you. And he knows traffic for you is a pressure point. He knows that man at the end of the month when you've got more month than money. He knows that's a pressure point. He knows that getting up early, that's a pressure point. He knows that your boss, that's a pressure point. He knows that when you and your wife get in a certain situation, that's a pressure point. And man, right now he's just squeezing it. And he's squeezing it. And you feel like, I'm about to pop. But in comes this advocate. And oh, I love that Jesus Christ is our advocate. Bible says in 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 1, My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, I don't know, is there any sinners in the house? I'll be the first to raise my hand. I'm a sinner. If there be any, if, and it's almost a rhetorical question. And if any man sin, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. All of a sudden, we've got this shame. And Satan comes in, but then Jesus shows up and he says, wait a minute, God, I'm going to, I'm going to advocate. I'm going to be the lawyer. I'm going to represent the sinner. And I don't want you to see their sin. I want you to see my precious, perfect, sinless blood. And God sees the blood. He doesn't see the sin. He doesn't see the brokenness. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. We have that advocate, but there is Satan. We have this accuser and he is shaming us. Revelation chapter number 12, verse number 10, the Bible says, and he gives this name. This is the only time you see this name. And this is what, and the power of his Christ for this, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. The accuser is in reference to our enemy, Satan. He's our accuser. The Bible says he accuses us day and night. You say, what did I do when I was sleeping? Nothing, but he's still accusing you. Day and night, the Bible says. He's before God just trying to shame you, trying to bring everything to God. And we know how this goes. We're trying to teach our daughter, Megan. She loves telling on Austin. Anything Austin does, man, Megan runs to mom and just got to tell her and tell her what it does. And, and then even, uh, we're not allowed to have Lucky Charms in our house because it's not gluten-free, fat-free, taste-free, nasty. So I'm not allowed to have it. Well, I went and bought it the other day. And as soon as I brought it in the house, I tried to sneak it in. And Megan went right to mom and said, Dad gave us Lucky Charms, you know. And I got busted by my own four-year-old daughter. <laughs> I had a little accuser in my life. And that's funny. But Satan watches what we do. He sees how we behave. And he says, God, did you see what they did? They say they're your child. Does a child act like that? They say you, you're using them. Should they act like that? But here's what I thought about. 
The Bible calls Satan not only the accuser, he also calls Satan a liar. Let me ask you, when you know somebody's a habitual liar, do you believe anything they say? God knows Satan intimately, and he knows Satan's a liar. Do you think God's listening to Satan, the accuser? Not on your life. He knows that Satan's a liar. He knows that everything he's saying is against you. But get, get this, folks, get this. The Bible says Satan is accusing you and I before the throne of God day and night. Okay? So if Satan's up there, why are you and I hearing these voices of accusation and shame in our head? So where does that come from? We love to blame it on the enemy, don't we? That's the internal dialogue that I have with myself. And that internal dialogue is like the soundtrack that just keeps playing. And it's like you just hit repeat on that. And it just keeps playing. It just keeps playing and keeps playing. And over and over, it's this song of shame. And it's like shame's greatest hits. It's bringing up everything you ever did. And it just plays. That's not Satan, though, because he's up in heaven accusing you. So where is that coming from? It's this morning. It's coming from you. And you've got to know how to tune that out. There's this great commercial. I was trying to get it for you. And maybe you've seen it on TV. And I, I like it. You're going you're to think this is corny. But the Beats commercial by Dr. Dre, have you seen those? Where, and I really like the one by Kaepernick, okay? Because I'm a 49ers fan. And everybody's booing him. And everybody's saying he's washed up. And he's sitting on the bus. And all of a sudden, man, people are throwing chairs and eggs. And he grabs those beats by Dr. Dre. And he puts those on. And all of a sudden, just tunes everything else out. You see, you're listening to so many different voices that are not of God. And you need to tune those voices out. And I'm not saying you need to sing yourself a theme song. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. It's not what I'm saying you need to do. Unless that helps you, if that helps you, then do it, please. But what I am saying is the soundtrack of shame. Break the recording. Break the record. Go to the word of God and go to the book of Ephesians. We're going to kind of wrap up in Ephesians because over and over God says that I am loved. I am chosen. I am favored. I am blessed. I am approved. I am his. And over and over all of a sudden we see all that we are in Christ. And that's what I'm trying to get you to see Christian because that will set you free. Because God is not trying to shame you into being a great Christian. God doesn't do that. God doesn't drag your past to try to make you into something better in the future. God says that is your path we're going to leave it in your path and let's get over the shame we have an accuser and he's trying to shame us but then peter he had the soundtrack of shame just playing just playing you see what shame does it keeps us away from the one that we should be the closest to i don't mind being transparent with you folks i don't mind looking messed up in front of everybody because i think it'll relate the times when i think me and my wife fight i don't all of a sudden Hey, let's go on a date. Let's, let's find a babysitter. It's what I need to do, but it's not what I do. When I sin and when I mess up, I need to pray. I don't feel like praying. If I'm stuck in traffic and I'm frustrated and I'm upset and I'm mad, I should be listening to worship music, but I'm feeling like Metallica at that moment, okay? I'm feeling like, man, what's going on with me? And what shame does, it drives that wedge. Where you need to draw closer to God, that shame pulls you farther apart. And we all know people that, man, 
one Sunday turned into two Sundays and three Sundays and a month of Sundays and a year and two years and three years. And all of a sudden you say, what happened? And they say, I don't know what happened. I used to be over there. I used to be walking with God and in love with God. What happened? It was that shame. That's what it was. The soundtrack of shame kept playing. And instead of drawing closer to the one that you needed the most, because the Bible says that Peter was following at a distance as Jesus was being led to the cross. And that's some of us this morning. We're following God, and I could say Peter was following at a guilty distance. He was guilty for what he did. He said, I will die with you. I'll go to the cross with you. And maybe you've had those moments where you were just on a spiritual high, and you said, God, man, I'm going to go to the missionary, and I'm going to go to Korea. I'm going to go, and I'm going to do these things for you, and I'm excited. And all of a sudden, that soundtrack of shame happens, and we just start this distance from ourselves from God and from all spiritual things. And what happens is shame tells us And here's kind of, I've entitled it the three P's of shame. See, what shame does, shame tells us it's personal. Shame says what you did is who you are. You drank, so you're a drunkard. You had a, a premarital affair or you had an affair, so you are an adulterer. That's what sin does. Sin says you had a lustful thought, so you are disgusting. You're a pervert. That's what shame does. Shame says you did this one thing so your whole life is messed up and it makes it very personal. And that's what shame does. And there's so many Christians we walk into church and we just feel so, so dirty. We feel so disgusting. We feel so unworthy. And we try to wear nice clothes and we try to bring a Bible and we try to look like we got it all together but that soundtrack of shame is playing. What are you doing in church? You shouldn't be here, you hypocrite. And it makes it personal it says what we did is who we are and god never once said what you did is who you are god says i will tell you who you are you are my son you are my daughter you are equal with the king of you are right there with jesus christ you're a joint heir with christ that's who i'm going to tell you who you are and that's the soundtrack we need to play that's what we need to be listening to but instead this shame makes it personal also it makes it permanent and it tells you this it says your daddy had a temper so you have a temper you'll always have a temper your son will have a temper makes it permanent it says man you had drug problems before you will always have drug problems you had marital problems you're always going to have marital problems because you can't change it's permanent wait a minute how many times does god say i want to do a new thing inside of you I want to change you. I want to transform you. Behold, I make all things new, the Bible says. But shame says, no, 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 you're not going to change. You're never going to get rid of that temper. You're never going to deal with that problem. And that's what shame does. And then shame tells us it's pervasive. It says you mess everything up. You always get fired from your jobs. You always mess up a good relationship. It just says, life isn't the problem. You're the problem. And you just start thinking that you're toxic. You start thinking, I'm a terrible mother. I'm a terrible father. I can't do anything right. Anything that I step into, I ruin it and I mess it up. And that's just shame. Because you have this accuser. And there's these thoughts, this soundtrack that's just playing. And you feel just bound by it. But even though Peter deserted Jesus, even though he denied Jesus, 
he still, God still comes to him. And Jesus says, even though you don't deserve this, Jesus doesn't rehearse his shame. You, we're going to wrap this up in John chapter number 21, and we're going to follow this. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, just listen as I read it. John chapter number 21, Peter said, hey, I'm going fishing. I quit. I'm done. I'm walking away. He started as a fisherman. He said, I'm going to end as a fisherman. I tried the Christian thing. I tried to be a leader. I tried to be a pastor. I tried to be a good husband. I tried to be a good boss. I tried to be a good father. I tried to stay pure. I started, tried to get rid of my bad habits. I just couldn't do it. So I'm just, I'm just going to give up. Why fight anymore? Why try? I'm just going to accept who I am. And that's where Peter had gotten to. And maybe that's where you're feeling this morning. And I want to call you out of that. Because here's what Jesus said. He said in verse 16, he said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas. I love this. He calls him Simon. Simon means shaky, shifty. He says, Simon, son of Jonas. That's your dad. One of the fourth Jonas brothers there. Lovest thou me? The Bible says Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things and thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. He called him Simon, but he ended with Peter. He said, Simon, Simon. But he ended by calling him back to his original identity. You see, God didn't rehearse the shame. God didn't say, hey, let, let's, let's talk about that whole denial thing, buddy. No. God didn't say, hey, let, let's talk about that. What happened there, buddy? You said you were going to die with me. What happened? You ran. Thought you were going to be with me to the end. No man stood with me. I was led as a sheep to the slaughter. Where were you, Peter? You said you'd always be right there. Come on. You're a rock. My rock. What happened? God didn't do that. God didn't rehearse his shame, but God did reverse the shame. You see, for our rejection, there needs to be a confession. And you and I, we know what confession is. Peter made a great confession. And sometimes you and I, we think that confession is a one and done type thing. I confess Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I got saved. I took care of it. But we need to understand confession is not a one-time act. Confession itself is a process. It's an over and over thing. The Bible says, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may find help in time of need. That says, let us always come. In 1 John chapter number 1, verse number 9, it says, uh, uh, let us therefore, um, uh, asking forgiveness for sin. I'm going to misquote it. Let me just read it for you real quick. And we're going to kind of wrap things up. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God says, hey, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rehearse this. As far as the east is from the west, I'm going to release this. But God says, I am going to reverse this. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For some of you, that needs to be a verse you highlight, you underline, that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. God says, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to shame you. And some of you are living in shame. You're walking in shame. And God says, that shame is not from me. Jesus does not shame you. Hey, this church is not going to be a church that's going to shame you. I'm not going to be the pastor that says, man, what did you do? What were you thinking? I'm not going to be the pastor that's going to shame you into something. The Holy Spirit will do the job of conviction. And for some of us, let me park it there on conviction for a second. Conviction is a good thing. We need conviction. Conviction is like when we break our leg and 
and the pain is there. It doesn't feel good, but it's good because then you know, wait a minute, something's wrong. I need help. That's what conviction is. And sometimes we feel that conviction because we need, we need to get it right. There needs to be that conf- and confession. But there doesn't need to be shame. We're not going to go to some other brother or sister and shame them to do something. We're not, we're not going to be that type of culture in our church. Because I don't see that as scriptural, that we shame people into what they ought to be. Some of you have walked in this morning feeling like you're in a shameful situation. My prayer is that you will walk out seeing that you have a divine position in Christ. You walked in maybe feeling like you're in a shameful situation. I want you to see your divine position in Jesus Christ. And walk in that this week. Instead of feeling this shame, understand who God has called you to be. I know this sermon was very much on a different level. I wish we could always just destroy Goliath and talk about our identity, but I meet too many Christians who are just shamed. Shame has driven them so far from God, and it's all internal. And we're calling you back and saying, this is how we deal with shame. This is how we want you to deal with shame and how God treats you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning.